All right, good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you guys this morning and uh, so thankful for Pastor Ken and the other uh, leadership and other pastors who um, have encouraged me to, to take on this new role. Um, I know as I look out, many of you know my story. And uh, those of you who have, have maybe come in the, in the more recent months might not know my story. Uh, those of you who are uh, here for the first time, the, the thing that I would want you to know would be that this is the big idea t- today. Um, that, that church membership, being committed to a, a local church, is the way to experience the accountability and the care that you need, that, that every Christian needs. This church has been used by God to save my life. I, I, I say that, honestly, I say that in a in very flat way because it's very true. God has used this church, the, the people of God here at 200 North Roselle, to, to save my life. As, as we talk about what it means to commit to a, a local church, we're going we're gonna to bring in a few texts. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. If you see the pew Bibles in front of you, we are going to be all over the New Testament because one of the, the basic um, principles that we're going to see is that the New Testament is written in such a way that assumes this commitment to the local church. And I want us to see the, the impact and the import of being committed to a local church. And you can read it right here. Those who actively commit to a church that exercises relational church membership experience the love and the care and the accountability and the wisdom of God in a way that is inexpressible. It, it changes history. It changes lives. I, I know this because... I lived this. 18 years ago, I walked into this church. I'd moved into the area a few years before that, trying to get away from my past, my consequences, my struggles, my addictions. I'd landed right here at Golf and Roselle and started working as a dealer mechanic at Woodfield Lexus. And a man there at Woodfield Lexus told me about the gospel, told me about Jesus. And he walked with me for a number of months and, and, and cared for me and continued to, to be open to me and continued to, to invite me to his church. But I had no interest. The walls of my own addiction, the walls of my own shame, the walls of my own anger were so high that at times it felt like I was in the bottom of a well. And I was, I was looking up at these, these dark sides and I could barely see the sky. I could barely see any light, and I had no hope of getting out. And so I didn't think that was for me. I didn't think that that was something that would be able to happen to me because my history was that I came from a family of addicts. Addiction runs deep in my family. My dad has been passed away for many years now after the ravages of of drug and alcohol abuse. I have family members right now who are still struggling with the consequences of addiction. And it just felt like that was how my life and my story, my history was going to go. But January 
of 2005 came, and by God's grace, I suffered more consequences. I suffered more, more pain and, and more struggle because of my choices. And that man who had introduced me to Christ those months before, Tormain Rhodes was his name. He'd given me enough information to be able to make a decision to choose Christ. And so on a Tuesday night, another night out, I woke up inside of my front door and I rose to my knees and I said, God, I do not know you and I do not know your son, but if you'll save me, I'm done. And January 25th, 2005, my life was changed. My, my history, my future became something else. My life turned around. I, I walked into Bethel here 18 years ago on the 4th of July, and I, I started taking notes. All I knew was that I didn't know everything at that point. That's all I knew, is that I had something to learn. I had men inviting me to activities. I had young men and women actively serving in the church. I saw it with my own eyes. I, I took note of it. I got discipled in a Christian worldview that I didn't have for those 30 years without Christ. And I got, I got discipled in it without condemnation, without shame. And so I watched, and I, and I learned, and I took notes. I met my wife, Christina, here that summer in our young adults group here on campus. We were married in 2007, and in 2008, I retired from being a diagnostic master technician with Woodfield Lexus, and I followed my passion for ministry. Now, over the last 15 years, I've become a professional biblical counselor. I've become a, a local church pastor. I've received a master's degree in counseling ministry, a master's degree in Christian ministry and leadership. I'm currently working on a doctorate in biblical counseling. As a professional counselor, I've counseled hundreds of people for thousands of hours in a Christian context, and every one of those individuals I've talked to about church. I've talked to about the role of church in their life, the good and the bad. And every one of those people had a view on the local church. I know in this room there is some, there are some coming from church hurt. Something has happened and it has broken your trust in the local church. I know there are good church memories of, of the way that you grew up and, and, and the way that, that, that you would like things to be. I know that. I know there are families who are pressured to work too hard in the ministry. I know there were families shamed because of tragedy. And the list goes on and on, and I've taken notes. After the 18 years, watching, counseling, taking notes, this is the big idea. That, that church membership is the way to experience the accountability and care that every Christian needs. The, the more I have looked, the more that I have listened, the more that I have experienced, the more that I would implore you as one of your pastors to be actively committed to the local church. It changes things. It changes the way that we see history. It changes the way we see our lives. It changes the way that we do our future together. 
So I'm talking to two different types of people in this room. One would be those who are considering or skeptical about church membership. And so we're going to go through the scripture and we're going to talk a little bit about three passages specifically that we need to wrestle with if we're going to say, I don't think church membership is a priority. We're, going to, we're just going to walk through three of the passages um, for the sake of time. That's, that's the first group I'm speaking to. The second group I'm speaking to are, are the Bethel members who um, would benefit by being even more active, by being even more committed the, the joy of ministry, the joy of, of sharing responsibility, the joy of, of being the body. I want to share that with you. Now, there are many of you in here that I'm looking at, and I know that, that you are putting in hours, that you are putting in a lot. And what I don't want to do is I don't want this to feel like a weight that I don't see you. The only reason that I'm not saying your name out loud as one of your pastors is because you don't want me to. But I could. I know there are people in this room who are deeply committed, actively committed, and, and believe in church membership. And I just want you to know that I don't mean this to be a burden to you. I want it to be something that is an encouragement to you to know that you are doing well. And I pray that you are experiencing the joy that comes with that. So, simple outline today. We're going to be in multiple texts. This is the outline we're going to, to have. I'm going to lay out this idea that there is eternal value to the church. And because of that eternal value to the church, everything is precious to Jesus. Then a visible official church membership is demanded. It, it's important. We don't even want one that is lost. We, we want to know that we make sure we have all of our flock together. We want to make sure we have every coin that is allotted to us. We, we want that. And so because of the eternal value of the church, the mutual accountability described in the New Testament demands visible official church membership, and the deeply personal care described in the New Testament demands visible official membership. And so if you are in some ways feeling disconnected today or you're feeling like you're slipping through the cracks or you, or you feel like there might be something more to this whole church life, this whole Christian walk thing, then I want to speak to you. And we'll get to the, the, the big argument against church membership very, very soon. But let's get to the first point. The first point, this eternal value of the church demands uh, visible, official church membership. So go ahead and turn to, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're going to be in verse 28. Because the church is, is so valuable, eternally valuable, this is something that we don't want to get wrong. Uh, Jesus said that he is going to build his church. That, that's that big C, that universal church. We're going to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Every person for, for all time who has trusted in Christ as their Savior, who is born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, is part of this group. That, that's the, the universal church of God. Matthew 16, 18 says, I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is known as the good shepherd. He, he guides and protects. He provides for the sheep of his flock, every one of them, every single one. 
And all who follow Jesus are his sheep. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is the good shepherd who knows every one of his sheep. Paul in Acts chapter 20, leaving those that he loves in Ephesus, the the place he had spent the most time in ministry, picks up on that same idea. And here we see that eternal value placed on the church. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. There is an eternal value to to every member of the body of Christ. We don't want to lose one. Jesus, as as the good shepherd, will not lose one. But he then gives us that same charge as, as pastors and overseers. And, and I would say, even as other believers, to, to say, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm looking out for my brothers and my sisters. I want to make sure that I'm coming alongside of them and warning them as long as it is today that, that the way they're going could harden their heart. I'm leaving out about 250 Bible verses this morning because we got to get to lunch All I can say is that these three points are all I'm trying to make today. The first point is the eternal value of every one of of God's creation. Everyone made in the image of God. But the eternal value of those who are in the church, who are in the body of Christ, it demands that we would pay careful attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions after each one of these three passages. Who in this, in this verse, as you read it, is all the flock? Is all the flock in this passage talking about everyone who has ever come to Jesus Christ by grace through faith? What do you think? Well, let's keep reading. Look at the text. He says, In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. There, there's a value there, but we see that, that it's, it's really um, something that is being given to them as overseers to see that flock that is in their midst. We'll get to more of that as we go, but I want you to see the way that, that Acts 20.28 20, actually includes both. Every member of the, the, the church of God, and yet the flock to which we are made overseers by the Holy Spirit, and the great value that is put on that. You see, we, we measure value in what it is that somebody is willing to pay for something. There are some things that you have in your life that, that you value because you remember how much it costs. There are things that you value because you know how much somebody has offered to pay you for it. And you know that there are some things that are valuable because you would never part with it. You would never let it go. 
It may be a picture that's irreplaceable. It, it might be a gift that's been given to you. It might be a piece of jewelry, but it means so much to you that you would give up getting something for that. You would, you would give up getting anything else. It is priceless. And that's what Jesus did for his church. He, he refused to take payment and hand the church over to the evil one. He refused to take the easy way out. He paid all that he had his own life to gain the church, his people, back from their sin and shame and condemnation and to bring them into relationship with him. And so all of those that Christ has saved are valuable to him. Because of that extreme and eternal value, every one of those souls should be very precious to us. We shouldn't want to lose one. We shouldn't want one to fall through the cracks. We shouldn't want one to feel unseen or unheard or uncared for. Because it's valuable to Jesus and every member matters, it's important that we care about every member as well, every part of the body, every, every member of the body of Christ. This is why church membership is so important. Uh, John Hammett, a, a researcher, says it this way, a church does not so much have members as it is its members. A church does not so much have members as it is its members. This is really important because we have many people who come in and out of all churches, right? We, we visit, we, we go somewhere for a short amount of time, we, we go somewhere else, we live there, we get relocated. There are all types of opportunities to be attending a church, but not to be a member of a church. Those opportunities that we have to be attending a church, but to not be a member of a church, are actually one of the most dangerous places to be as a Christian. You're, you're coming in and you're, you're doing what it is apparently that you are supposed to do, but very few people know you. You don't have those deep relationships that can, that can bring criticism, that can bring perspective. And when people do get too close, it's tempting to go somewhere else. And so that's part of the danger whenever we think about churches having members. We need to understand that local churches are its members. And we do that because of the eternal value of the church. We want to make sure that, that just like that thing is so valuable to you that you want to you make sure you don't just go to your jewelry box and just throw everything in. If you have something that is of deep and significant value, you have its own drawer, you, you know that that piece is there. You know that that picture is there. And every member is as precious to God as that one thing that's precious to us. And so because of that value, we want to make sure that we are valuing everyone who is under our care at Bethel and other local churches. So, not only do we have this idea that there is this deep value, but now we're going to, to talk through a couple of these principles that, that for our time are going to help us to understand. Again, John Hammett says this, uh, the case for church membership is nowhere argued in the New Testament, but everywhere assumed. So we're just going to talk about two of those principles. The first one is going to be mutual accountability. 
the way it's described in the New Testament demands local church membership, a a visible, um, official church membership where we can know who it is is under our care. Mutual accountability demands that whenever we read the New Testament, and then the second would be a deeply personal care described in the New Testament. So we'll start here. The mutual accountability described in the New Testament demands official church membership. I'm going to have you turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Again, just grabbing one text, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, talking about a, a, a very clear mutual accountability. I'm going to throw a couple other Bible verses out as we get there because they're so, they're so beautiful in the way that it describes what's going on in the church. So as you're turning there, Acts chapter 5 says this, talking about the people who are outside of the Jerusalem church, none of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The the word I want us to think about in Acts chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, is that word join. None of the rest there join them. That word is used in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. You don't don't have to turn there, but I'm, I'm going to turn there quickly while you are getting to Hebrews. Whenever it said that they didn't dare join those in the Jerusalem church but held them in high esteem, this is the word that is used when it says that, that Ruth clung to Naomi. This is a, a story in the Old Testament talking about commitment, talking, talking about walking alongside of one who is, is going back to, to Israel, God's chosen people, and, and being able to, to say, I trust in where you're going. I'm going to connect myself with you. And this is the phrase that Ruth uses. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This is all in that description of when it says that they would not dare join the Jerusalem church. Ruth clung, joined Naomi. My, your God, my God. Your people, my people. Where, where you go, I will go. There's something that is deeply connected and accountable about that. And then 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Again, we won't turn there. We'll go to Hebrews but in passing, I want you to be thinking through this. See, in one of the, the criteria for an overseer, it says this, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now I'm going to ask a leading question. How many of you love your children? Okay, raise your hands, good. Love your children. Now I'm going to ask a hard question. How many, of, how many of you discipline your children? Okay. How many of you discipline other people's children? There we go. Couple. Couple. I believe Diane disciplines me all the time. Yeah. Can, can, let's just make it real. Um, 
I don't spank other people's kids. I don't, I, don't, I don't really discipline other people's kids. When it comes to this, this mutual accountability, when it comes to this deep personal care, who, who are we responsible to be, to be caring for, to be guiding, to be nurturing? There, there's this analogy between the, the, the people who are overseeing churches, pastors, and, and the, the, the parents of a household. And we know who is in our household. Sometimes it gets a little bigger. Sometimes it gets a little smaller. But we know who our children are. And so we can, we can make sure that we are, we are uh, dealing with things correctly whenever we know who is in the family. Hebrews chapter 13. I promised you we'd get there. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 Let's just throw out a couple big words. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Okay, still there? Good, okay. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, these are a couple of heart obey your leaders. Submit to them. That, that's an accountable phrase. So let me ask you a question. Who, who is that in your life? Without visible official church membership, you don't know. Not Not really. It gets very foggy. Now, I understand we're in a different context. We're in, we're, we're, there is a church every quarter mile around here. There's, there are churches everywhere. Uh, in the New Testament, it wouldn't be like that. It would be very easy to distinguish who was in and who was out because it was a matter of life and death. But what we'll get to when we get to that deep care is there, were actually an, there was an enrollment there was a list even then, even in that, that very contrasted culture. How foggy is it here? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? And this is something I hope that you hear the balance in my voice as, as Pastor Ken and Dave and, and Josh and Mark and I mentioned you, Ken. Yeah. Who did I forget? Got him. Good. Read, read the, next, the next part of this. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Can I ask you another question? This is a real one for us. Who am I going to give an account to before God that I cared for their soul? People who come on Sundays, um, people who join a membership list, who am, who am I as a pastor going to, to give a face-to-face account of how I cared for the souls of the people who were in my charge? Without a visible, official membership this becomes very, very scary for me. 
because I will give an account for the way that I care for them. And that's why it goes on to explain, in case you didn't get it, let them do this with joy, not with groaning. Don't make this hard. It, it, it becomes very problematic, and it's not of any advantage to you. It's good for you to be cared for. It's good for you to be accountable. First Peter says it this way in First Peter 5, 2, and 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those entrusted to your charge or allotted to you, or entrusted to you. But big examples to the flock. If we don't have a visible official church membership, active church membership, that becomes very foggy. Who is in my flock? Last one on this point, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 Uh, I didn't mention it at the beginning. This is a different kind of sermon. Maybe you're picking that up now. This is what we call a topical sermon. So this this isn't an expositional sermon in a way. This is a topical sermon where I'm taking a topic and trying to show you through the, the New Testament why we're making the point we're making. Matthew chapter 18. We'll just keep it to the slide for time. Um, if your brother refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, we're talking about mutual accountability. We're saying that there is someone who has done something uh, that has offended a brother or sister. That brother or sister has went to them one-on-one and said, hey, I really don't like when you do that. I I don't think that's godly. I think that's destructive and, and dangerous. And the person says, get out of here with that. Like my relationship's between me and Jesus. And they say, well, okay, this is dangerous. This isn't good. I'm going to go get a couple friends who, who care about that one brother who, who is not listening. And they go to him and they plead with him and say, brother, will you please repent? Would you rethink this? Like what you're doing is dangerous. It's really destructive. It's not going to go, it's not going to end well. And they say, get out of here with this. Like my relationship's between me and Jesus. Don't be so judgy. Scripture then tells us, take it to the, if, they, if they don't listen to them, the two or three, take it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. How many, how many of you like to be judged by people you don't know? No, none of us, right? We don't, we don't like that. We don't like it in traffic. We don't, we don't like it online. We don't like it on Facebook. We don't, we don't like that. Yet what we're doing in the church, this thing that is so eternally valuable to God, and, and we're called to this mutual accountability, it, it's important that we see what it means when he says that treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. That means that we are basically knowing so much about that other person's life and we care so much about them and we are so close together that we look at their life and we say, we do not see that you have eternal life in Christ. We see that you are an unbeliever. We see that, that if there are, and there are, these two categories of people, those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone as their substitute, 
And so spend eternal fellowship with God. I pray that that is where you are today. That's, that bears fruit. And so in that mutual accountability, we see that. And then the second category of people are people who do not have a relationship with God. Through the work of Jesus Christ. They haven't placed their faith in Christ. And because of that, they are not going to spend eternity at the right hand and in fellowship with God, but separated from all good and all God in a place that we call a literal conscious hell. That's what's happening in this text. Who is going to judge that? Who's going to vote on that? Without a visible, official church membership, this practice of telling someone who says that they're a Christian that for all intents and purposes and evidences, you're on your way to hell becomes very foggy, very problematic without active, visible, official church membership. I don't, need to, I don't need to beat the point anymore. Go to Matthew 18. The text only gets heavier. It, it only gets weightier um, to talk about the role of the church to make those decisions together. And so we, we see that, that that mutual accountability is there. The accountability to the leadership, the accountability of the leadership to the people, both being accountable to God. Without a visible official church membership, that gets very, very dicey. But next point is that we are going to see that the deep personal care described in the New Testament demands visible, official church membership. And relationship is everything. Relationship with the Lord through, through Jesus is primary, yet that relationship with those made in the image of God is as important. If you read Luke chapter 9, it, it, it is that we would love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Some translations say the same, that we would love our neighbor as ourself. So we have this real important part of the church life that is relationship. And so church membership is a commitment to personally and sacrificially care for one another. Now I told you I was going to get to the best part, the best argument against church membership, and that is this. The best argument against church membership is shallow, lifeless church membership. That's the best argument. That, and that is a valid argument. Now, if all we're doing is signing a pledge card or all we're doing is just showing up, then, then we really are not putting forth what it is that the Bible talks about with church membership. Church membership is this. The Bible is calling you to, I'll bleed with you, Commitment. You need me, I'm there. What do you need? I'll give it to you. I'll share with you. I'm in. That's what church membership is. That's what the local body of Christ is. I was talking with a brother just before the service. And uh, he said, there, there are lines outside of the Lego store today. There are lines outside of the restaurants today. How come there is no line outside of the church today? 
if we're selling salvation, if we're offering salvation. And I said, why do you think that is? And what he said was so, so clear, so helpful. He said, because people can't see it. They can see the Legos. It's tangible, the food they get. But when you ask someone to come to faith, they can't believe in what they don't see. The deep personal care described in the New Testament, the I'll bleed with you, I'll live with you, I'll invest in you kind of love in the New Testament that's described all the way through, that's something people will believe in. And Jesus says as much in John chapter 17, although we don't uh, have time, we'll, we'll, we'll go there. Um, if you want to turn to John 17, you can. Uh, but we see this on a general level. A Christian ought to do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Galatians 6.10 tells us. Jesus says, by, all, uh, by this all people will know you, that you have love for one another. John 13, 34. The, fr- the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We can't do those on our own. Francis Chan says it this way, while every individual needs to obey Jesus' call to follow, we cannot follow Jesus individually. You cannot deeply care in in this way that is loving, patient, kind, gentle on your own. We need the community to be able to, to evidence, to be able to show the love of God in our hearts to allow people to believe in what it is that Jesus has done. So John 17, if you want to turn over there, we're winding down. John chapter 17, Jesus is actually praying for us. He says, I do not ask for those only, those who are, he's around right then, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that they would, so the, that the world would believe that you have sent me. The, the oneness, the love that is evident, that is clear, visible, in the church body is what allows the world to believe that, that God sent Jesus. He goes back and he repeats that argument again. The deeply relational care that we give is what is going to show a world that he is real. So how many people can you personally, deeply, like I'll bleed for you, care for? How many, how many can you do personally? Like six, maybe? Maybe three? That you could, I'll, I'll bleed with you. I will drive you to the airport. I will get up at four in the morning and I'll, and I'll take you to the doctor in Minnesota. What, whatever that is, that's the kind of commitment we're going to give to one another. How many can you do? Because that's your call as a New Testament believer. Without a visible, official, Church membership, that gets very problematic. Because we don't know who to care for. I had a, had a, a brother come with his family in a hotel just this week. I do benevolence. He basically wants $1,000 a week because he's called of God to preach the gospel. Three kids in a hotel. Wife wants a yard. She wants to garden. 
But this man says he's called of God to preach, so it'd be good if churches helped him. Do you want your money going to that guy? Like $1,000 a week? Because this ministry only runs because of the faithful giving of his saints. And you guys are faithful. We don't have to preach about giving. I mean, we don't have to tell you the boxes are back there. You guys are great. I'm so, I so appreciate that about you. But a visible, official church role helps us be better stewards of God's money. Without that visible, official church membership, I don't have much defense for, for not helping a brother uh, pay his bills. 1 Timothy chapter 5 helps us answer the question. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Just a little tip. All the tea books are together. So if you're in a tea book, you're really close. 1 Timothy 5. Long text, but really the, the first sentence tells us everything. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a good reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. There, there's a lot of things I need to know about this woman, a woman who, who loves God. But there are some things I need to know about her. I need to know her. I need to have walked with her. Do you see the, the deep relationship that's there and the care that she genuinely needs? If you look down in verse 16, this is talking about financial matters. And the point for, for this morning, and again, I take four weeks to teach through this in the, in the square one class. Anybody's welcome to come and, and join that. We talk about basics of the faith. I, tell you, I take four weeks to talk about what we're talking about today, so I'm leaving out a couple hundred Bible verses. That's fine. If we are skeptical about church membership, if we feel like we're okay without it, we have to wrestle with the, the, the extreme and eternal value of the local church. Every member matters to God, and every member matters to us. We have to, we have to deal with that mutual accountability and who is going to, to, to make those hard decisions as a church if we don't have that visible official church membership? And then here we see that there's criteria and then there is an enrollment. There, there's something of a, of a list. They're, they're keeping track of people that they can help because they know the person. That deep care is something that we are supposed to be doing. And so where is the easiest, the most consistent place that you could exercise and show your love for other Christians? It's in the local church. It, we, can, we can be good to all men, but especially for those who are in the household of faith. One author says it this way, the mark of Christian discipleship is love. Love of that kind that Jesus exercised toward his followers, love visible enough that men will recognize it as belonging to those people who follow Jesus. Not surprisingly then, a healthy Christian is one who is committed to expressing this kind of love toward other Christians. And the best place for Christians to love this way is in the assembly of God's people called the local church. God has used his church, his people, 
to save my life. This church continues to change me. I've heard many of your stories. I've been a part of some of your stories. If you're new here, we look forward to walking through your story with you. Seeing what brought you here and and how we can help you move forward. But it is going to take all of us together as a body of Christ, his hands, his feet, his messengers to care for the people around us. And so the idea today, the, 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 the big idea, the thing that we walk away with is what are we going to do, what are we going to do with the way that we practice and the way that we participate in church membership? Because those who do actively commit to a local church that exercises relational church membership I want you to know that it's possible to experience the love, the care, the wisdom of God in a way that is inexpressible. It changes the course of history, and it changes lives. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that, that your word would be what we remember from this morning, that we would see everyone as being made in your image, and that, that we would specifically see the value of uh, those who are Christ followers. And God, I pray that that, that would just motivate us. I pray, uh, Lord, I thank you so much for caring for me. I thank you for saving my life. I thank you for the testimonies I know are in this room. I pray that you would be high and lifted up, and in the power of our testimony, we, we cast down the evil one, and we cast down doubt, we cast down shame, And Father, as I pray over these, uh, the people of our flock, the people of your pasture, Father, I pray that we would care for them in such a way that the world would be lining up because it sees that you are real here. In Jesus' name, amen.